Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of the podcast, Med Family. I'm Eric Acker, your host, with Karen. Hey, guys. Um, so we've, we've done a, quite a few things this week, and I, I do want to apologize for being either late this week or not having the podcast out last week. So we only missed one week, right? We only missed one okay. week. Okay. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a lot of stuff going on in this last couple of weeks. And uh, easily, I think I've lost track of time. I think today's Thursday. Uh, yeah, because I just said that that day's today. Yes. So it was, there was Thursday. Um, so yeah, we, we've had a lot of things going on this week. So I do want to apologize for getting the episodes out late, missing last week, but Last week I have a good excuse, and I'm sure we'll get into that here. <laughs> Might as well just start off there. So, one of the things we did um, is panic. Uh, <laughs> not really panic, but so we were looking at the schedule and looking at Karen. Um, did we, we haven't mentioned anything no. like this, have we? Do you want to <coughs> go ahead? You, you. <laughs> we are. Um... <clears throat> As as the social worker told me, your condition. My condition, yes. <laughs> we are expecting one more kiddo. Um, and as we already have used up every, <laughs> excuse me, every seat in our car, my car. Could uh, be opted for the seven-seater, SN. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, needed to switch out vehicles. Um, and we have been looking for a while, um, but then we started looking at Eric's work schedule. And... Um, realizing, the reality set in here. Realizing that, um, oh, uh, this is going to be probably the most days off he has unless we ask for time off. And um, uh, car values are tanking because of the economy, and that's fine. Um, but uh, we yes were... No. Yes and no. Um, our car was... Uh, when we first... Kelly Blue booked it, I think it was valued at like 28. And then... Like last week, we Kelly Blue booked it, and I was like twenty three. And yeah, we're like, wow, like, we lost five thousand dollars worth of value within like a month and a half. That's but mind awesome. you, the vehicles we were looking at were about like twenty six, and then we looked at them again, and they were like twenty three. So like or twenty one, something like that. Like they were also dropping in value. Yes, as well. but the people selling them didn't view them as dropping in yes. value. We can get into that too, but um, <laughs> yes. So we were, we had had a offer on our vehicle, um, but the other issue is I'm trying to get in all of the kids' doctor's appointments and get all of their therapies um, scheduled and on. On the calendar before really, the next edition. Really hard to do that with one vehicle and one person being at work six days a week. <laughs> so, um, I I think Eric hit more of a panic mode than I did, but um, we had we had put an <laughs> offer on a car, and we we were told, oh, I already have an offer pending, but if that falls through, um, I'll I'll get back to you. And so we're like, okay, well. I guess we're not going to sell our vehicle. Sorry, the, the, <laughs> taking a couple of steps back. There. Yeah. So we we had put the car on the our car's on the market for like months now, um, but it, this was like a dealership was willing to offer us a certain dollar amount for the vehicle, and it was below what Kelly Bluebird, you know, like what we could sell technically, quote unquote, sell this vehicle on the private market for. But the car had been on the market for like two, three months without really anybody. Like we've had a few people ask about it. We've had one person say that they were going to come look at it only to cancel at last minute. So like we really haven't had an active <laughs> audience for this vehicle. And so the idea of like, oh, we're definitely going to get private party sale price for this vehicle after like two, three months of 
it being out there and nobody biting on it um, kind of made me think that we probably weren't going to have a whole lot of success. And to be fair, when I got this offer from this dealership, it technically is the best offer we've gotten from a dealership, for one. Yeah. Uh, for two, I did get a private party person that reached out to me, and they were theoretically willing to go $2,000 higher than what the dealership had offered us. But they were giving this whole, well, I want to be able to try buy the vehicle, you know, buy it, and then if I don't like it, trade it back into a dealership for something else I like. And it's like, okay, uh, like what's the odds this person is actually going to buy the vehicle at, at the value that they've given me? Like initially, I think they sent me a message and it was like, like 23,000 or something like yeah, that. And, and then, then like after the conversation, she just kept dropping the price and it's just like, this is ridiculous. So anyway, uh, we, we had this offer from the dealership kind of on the table. And like Karen said, we found a vehicle we liked that was in Maine. Maine, yes. <laughs> um, and the guy was, I think, willing to take our price if, if his other offer fell through, which uh, ironically it did, but uh, other things happened. <laughs> <laughs> By so, that point, we had found a uh, the same vehicle, same a little year, bit higher, fifty thousand miles more, which mm-hmm. is you know a significant, non insignificant number of miles more. Yeah, um, but five thousand dollars cheaper in Connecticut. In Connecticut, yes. And but I, if the, any of the officials are listening, it was in Baton Rouge, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That's where it was titled. <laughs> um, but um. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, we were originally thinking that if the main one fell through, that we would switch and go to the main one because it had a little bit more upgrades I mean, to it. It and it, I mean, fifty thousand miles and fifty thousand miles less is always like a a good one. But by the time he had let us know that the deal had fallen through, we already had a plane ticket for Eric. We already had figured out the financing and everything that we were needing. Anyways, it was a big ordeal. Eric left at like... So we, we we snagged the deal from the dealership in Maryland. Yep. They wired us the money, which was great, kind of. Um, <laughs> I waited. We, we waited a night. We, we got the deal, and they were like, oh, we'll wire you the money now if you want to sign the bill of sale. And this is like, oh, we're just not really sure. This other guy hasn't really talked to us. And then over the course of that evening, he calls and we do a FaceTime. We look at the vehicle. It looks, you know, as advertised. And we're like, okay, we're going to go ahead and pull the trigger on it. And so we don't have the cash in our... (laughs) That's the other kind of thing. We we are not rich people. We do not have money. Uh, we do not have the money to buy this vehicle in cash outright. So it, the the Ascent needed to be sold. So we had to sell the Ascent. So we sold it to this uh, dealership, which wired us the money after we signed the bill of sale. And that took all day to come into our bank account. And like, okay, the next day, I'm going to fly out to Connecticut. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly out early, like a 6 a.m. flight out of Raleigh. I'm flying to Connecticut. I'm going to rent a car. Uh, mind you, I'm also going to rent a car in Fayetteville to get me to Raleigh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because we only have one car. And I can't just leave it at the airport because Karen, I think, had like... Well, we we needed Karen at this point in the evening. The bank what, the, the bank closed we, the before money, the, the money hit our account. Yeah, so we're and trying so to we, figure out how we're going to get to pay this guy. Like, I'm flying to Connecticut with no cashier's check or anything. Uh, with this, I, We've started this process of like a, a wire transfer pin where I could possibly initiate a wire transfer remotely, um, but that hasn't really gone through. And so we're kind of flying out to Connecticut on this hope and dream that by the time I get out there in the morning that the pin will be set up and then I can initiate the wire transfer and the money will get into this guy's account and then I can... T- take possession of the vehicle, and then drive home. Uh, (laughs) uh, But on the alternative side, we were going to have Karen drive to the bank and initiate the wire transfer from Fayetteville with 
all the kids, um, <laughs> which did end up happening. Uh, so here I am. I'm renting a car in Fayetteville, which I had to go to four different rental car groups because I went to two. I went to one, and they called me back, and they're like, oh, we're all, we're all out of cars today. So I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, um, Hertz is out of cars, so I'm going to go Enterprise. And Enterprise, I show up at Fayetteville's airport, and they're like, I already called you. We don't have any cars. I'm like, well, yeah, and I went to Enterprise. And they're like, well, we're the same group. Okay. Uh, so went to, I feel like Alamo or something like that, and then they didn't have any cars, so I went all the way down to Budget. They had a car, so I took this car to Raleigh early in the morning, I had to get, I think I left at like 3 o'clock in the morning, 2.45. Yeah. Got to Raleigh, turned in the rental car, got on the airplane, had this Frontier flight, which if you've ever flown Frontier, it's not, you know, it's it's cheap. It, I, I got exactly what I paid for. <laughs> but, you know, on the plus side of it, did not I did not pick a seat, but the plane was just about empty. So I had the entire row to myself. Um, so I got about an hour of sleep on the flight. That's about a two-hour flight. <clears throat> Landed in Connecticut. Got my rental car. Drove to this guy's house. Um, and <laughs> it, was, it was a fun ordeal. Okay, I got to this guy's house because he's, he's a nice guy. He's from, he's from the country of Georgia. Um, and so he's got a very thick accent. He doesn't do English very well, so um, especially on texting and stuff like that. So... We're trying to coordinate a meetup time, and it keeps kind of changing the location, which is also a little, a little nerve wracking when you're in a completely foreign area. You're just like, I don't know where I'm going, and this guy <laughs> keeps changing the address on me. Like, am I gonna have to rent a rent a car and just drive home tonight? Like, is this actually gonna be a thing? Finally, meet up with him. Really nice guy, really uh, sweet guy. He just goes over the car, we test drive it, we do all the fun things. Karen's packing up the kids. You know, meanwhile here in North Carolina, heading to the bank. We we talk about everything. He goes ahead, you know, we're going to go ahead and try to do the sale. He's, he's a little apprehensive about wire transfers, but, you know, we're going to give it a shot. And, of course, we're apprehensive because, <laughs> I mean, we, we have no other option at this point. Like, we can't do Zelle. Our bank caps us at, like, 500 on Zelle. We can't do any other money transfers. We can't go to the ATM and pull out money. We can't do money orders, like... You know, it's got to be a wire transfer. And, of course, like, our last experience of a wire transfer was, like... It took all day. It took all day. So, like, am I going to be here <laughs> in Connecticut hanging out in this guy's kitchen until 5 o'clock at night when the wire transfer goes through? And, thankfully, I think by, like, 12, it had gone through. And so that he was nice enough to, you know, drive with me back to the rental car place, drop off my rental car, and we got back to his place. He checked his thing. Oh, the wire transfer went through. Great. So now I take I now have this new car, and he's like, "Oh, I gotta take the plate off because that's I guess a, a thing you do when you sell a vehicle. You remove the plates." Didn't think about that pro problem, possible problem, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am about ready to embark from Connecticut back to North Carolina through New York, through New Jersey, and. Um, there's a lot of tow roads. There's a lot of police officers. That's a lot of my like six hundred something miles of yeah. highway, and like a van running through with no plates on is probably not a great thing. Uh, <laughs> it's probably not <laughs> ideal. Um, so we figured it out. We got we got you know leaving Connecticut um, about a ten hour, ten eleven hour drive. Got home at like um, one in the morning. Like one in the morning, and my my shift started at six a.m. So we did that. Um, so, <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, like we needed the secure car, and like Heron said, we uh, we weren't going to really have a whole lot of extra time off to really make this exchange, and um, we really couldn't be on one car for any extended period of time. So, in uh, Honestly, I really don't think that our car was going to sell for much more. I think as car prices kind of keep going down, I think we were just going to get lower and lower offers. And so anyway, and this car was actually a pretty good deal, all things considered. Like, it is not a lot of frills. I mean, it is, it is the 
top of the line for the model, like for the, it's a Nissan NV, so it's like the luxury version of it, quote and unquote. So um, like if you were going to go to a dealership, you know, and you asked for the best model, uh, sub model, um, this would be it. Obviously no interior frills, like there's no, uh, no cam, uh, no uh, video players or anything like that. Dashboard's pretty plain. Um, it has like what probably what was good for 2014. You know, had mm-hmm. a had a good in dash system, but no Apple CarPlay or anything like that. So, uh, so you know, so, small creature comforts, but like the price was way better than I think anyone else was offering for their car. I mean, better. Than, the, the, so there was a gentleman in Texas offering his car for about this price but then he flipped out on me when i asked about possibly having a mechanic look it out uh, look it look it over and uh block me so uh, <laughs> generally speaking this was probably the best deal we were going to get um so anyway got back did my ed shifts um exhausted and then yeah. finally caught whatever the kids had <laughs> so the kids have been sick for the last like three weeks so, um, it just so happened that they took a turn for the worst about the same time that Eric left to go get this car. And so I didn't get a lot of sleep. Eric didn't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> and then we both ended up, uh, sick after he got back. So we are finally kind of on the tail end. We still, I still have a little bit of, um. Phlegm. Drainage, phlegm, yeah, there you go. And coughing. <coughs> yeah. So we apologize if we are coughing into the microphones. We are not trying to. <laughs> trying to be annoying there. <laughs> but, yeah, we got, man, that was, and then I, I didn't, I'm not taking any time off of work. I don't really know how that any of that stuff works. So I just imagine everyone just kind of toughs it out. So I've been trying to do that, and I've been on nights. Um, in the ED, they have AM, mid, and PM. So the AM starts at 6 AM, goes to 4. Um, mid is uh, 2 PM to midnight. to midnight. And then the PM is 10 PM to 8 AM. 8, thank you. Um, so <laughs> the I had a my first my first night shift. Uh, actually I really cannot complain too badly. I was not feeling great for this night shift. I had this cold. Um, I could have, I, I was, I don't think I had a full fledged fever, but I definitely was like the temperature was off all day. Like I was either too hot, too cold and constantly putting my jacket on, taking my jacket off and like just, just mi- kind of miserable. Um, the man flu, if you will, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was in red zone. Uh, and th- thankfully, mercifully, the, uh, the, waiting room was empty there was zero patients in the waiting room so we only got patients whenever we (laughs) whenever ems came by so anyway we we got through the first night shift we only really i really lucked out we had like three night shifts uh, and i just finished my last one a couple nights ago i don't know not last night, but the night before. Night before. Yeah. I mean, I, you get you home at like home 8 o'clock. At <laughs> you yesterday. get home at 8 a.m. You're just like, eh. uh, So anyway, I had I had today off, but I went into the didactics anyway. I haven't been into didactics in like four weeks. So I was kind of feeling like I needed to get back up to date on what was going on in the residency program. Uh, you kind of keep hearing like, oh, the research symposium that we're going to participate in the up the up their date for submissions even though it's in february and blah 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 so it's just like oh i should probably go to these things because people aren't really telling me a lot of information and i would rather just hear it myself so i went uh which was great uh we ended up having a whole grievance not grievance but like conversation about what people would like the program to change to and how they would like it to adjust it and whatnot so that was always I think good that the program is receptive to those sort of things and always kind of trying to improve. But anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, ED has been fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's 50-50. Like, I mean, when I'm sick, it's really hard to enjoy the rotation in any sort of way. You kind of just like, I'm not feeling great. I just kind of want to get through it. Um, you have this weird head cold. It's keeping you out of thinking very clearly like you can 
think through a few problems, but you don't feel like you're really top of your game. So it's just like, I just want to get through these shifts. I just want to, it's hard to enjoy. It's hard to be like, oh, I, I really want to see a lot of patients. I want to show that I'm, um, I'm having an initiative. I want to do procedures. And it was funny because I, my, one of my last shifts before I started feeling sick, I took the attending assignment. It's like, hey, if you guys had procedures, anything, like, I would love to do something. Like, and he's like, what kind of stuff do you want to do? And I listed off a few things. He's like, okay, next time, I, next time we're on a shift together, I'll try to find you something, which is cool. But that next shift, I think I wasn't with my, I wasn't with that attending. But the next shift, I'm like, I feel like crap. I do not want to do anything more than I have to because, like, I, I just, I just don't feel really good. So uh, it's hard to feel like the rotation is going great when you are just not a hundred percent. But you're like, I still gotta show up. Still gotta try. Still gotta show up. Still gotta, you know, still put in the good amount of work. Good, the good work. But at the same time, it just like. I should have got that diagnosis. I should have got that one. And, and you felt, I mean, I felt probably for the last two shifts that I was back to like fourth year medical student level where it's just like, I can report a really good history. I can wager probably a guess at a diagnosis and list off maybe two differentials and part of a plan, but nothing more than that. And having the attendings just be like, do this, this, and this. And it's like, okay, I can do that. I am now a documentation person and a like, I'm just documenting and ordering what I'm told to order <laughs> and doing what I'm told to do. And like to be fair, like I, I, I've come off of a few shifts where there's some deflating uh, aspects of it where patients that you have seen before and discharged have come back to the hospital and they didn't have exactly nice things to say about uh, the previous care team, uh, <laughs> I think which I was, was you, which was me. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, I don't know what to say. Like I, I treated them well. I, I, I'm, I'm generally a nice person. I'm not trying to be mean to them, but I, I, obviously perceptions are perceptions. And uh, a, a patient who felt like they didn't get a, a satisfactory answer, um, is going to leave, feeling dissatisfied, obviously, like we, you know, in the emergency department, it's tricky because you have all these different, uh, I guess, thought processes people have when they think about the emergency department and how they use it. Um, there's the general idea of that emergency departments for emergencies. If you are ill or you think you might be ill, you go to the emergency department to get worked up and make sure you're not dying. And if you are dying, you go into the hospital and they take care of you. Or the ER tries to stabilize you before you get into the ER. If you're not dying, the ER says, you're not dying, go follow up your primary care doctor. And that is one way to look at the ER. Uh, another way to look at it is, I'm not doing very well. I'm not, do, I'm not feeling 100%, and I want you to figure out why. And well, <laughs> you, you have... You have- the homeless population that comes in at night There's because they want to be warm. You have, there is some... There's drug addictions, there's mental health. There's gang activity, so, like, get, you, those those shows uh, where you and, see people getting dropped off at the entrance and they drive away, that's actually happened here. It does happen. <laughs> it's not... And then we go into lockdown, and then, like, <clears throat> those, I mean, those are pretty... Unfortunately, yeah, that's a, a lot of what we have. It's not, we, don't, we have a non-insignificant number of gunshots. Um, when you're on red zone, you see a few. Like I think I've, I've seen like three on, on my shifts. Uh, when I was in green zone the other night, uh, red zone got like three. Like it, it happens. Um, some are worse than others. Some are just, you know, grazing wounds and whatnot. But <clears throat> anyway... Yeah, uh, we use the large variety of acuity, but uh, some people do use the ER as this, you know, I'm not doing great, I need you to answer why. And I need you to, you know, I, I don't have time to go to my primary care doctor. Or, I mean, there's legitimate, there are some legitimate, like, concerns. Um, and it's not like, it's not really an emergency, but you're kind of not in a good spot. Like somebody who might, let's say, for example, might be unable to walk anymore or they have a hard time ambulating and their bed is on the second floor of the house. So how are they going to get into bed? 
How are they going to function? How are they going to take care of themselves? And uh, the emergency, that, that first scenario is like, well, that's not really the emergency department's job. That's, that's your primary care doctor. Those are the specialists. Those are the outpatient people. Um, but there's another side of that where you can get, well, they, they aren't able to take care of themselves. So send them home and to die, you know, alone. And, or, you know, family members may not be able to take care of them either. So maybe get, get them into the hospital. This is a COC care coordination thing where they can work with the patient, maybe find some placement, long-term care facilities, or um, I forget the other, L- L- LTAC. Assisted and, living facilities. Um, I'm thinking of like the rehab, rehab facility. Uh, skilled nursing? With the skilled nursing, we actually have an on-site rehab. Oh. So like people who maybe they've had like a traumatic brain injury and they need to like have oh. long-term rehabilitation or um, they just need PT to work with them very frequently, but they're not going to be there. They're going to be there for months, not a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are things uh, we we are, I don't know, it's hard. It's difficult because at the same time, it's like these competing voices in your head. So I, I talked a few weeks ago about how we had a morbidity mortality conference where a third-year resident was lecturing interns about how you need to stand up for yourselves and you need to make uh, clinical decisions. If you don't feel like someone is good to discharge, you don't discharge them. Um, I mean, not all bad th- thoughts. And, you know, obviously we are doctors. We put our names behind the patient. We do the discharge order. We are putting our license behind that discharge. So there is some truth to that. But... At the same time, when you have an emergency room attending saying, this is what we're doing, get rid of the patient. Yeah, they're done. We, we've done everything we need to do. We worked up everything. They don't have they don't have any of the scary stuff. They need to follow up with outpatient specialists. They don't need to be in the hospital for this problem. Send them off. And then it's like, okay. And one of the... What I'm, I'm realizing... Um, one of the forbidden things in the ER is the MRI. Like, <laughs> you do not order the MRI for just anything. Like, they do not want you to touch that MRI machine for any reason whatsoever. Like, even if you're just like, hey, pretty sure this person's got, like, a ACL tear. Nope. <laughs> like, no, no. Not in the ER. You can Maybe on the floors you can do that. Outpatient, of course, you can do that. In the ER, no. And that that's just the impression I kind of keep getting. And because every now and then you get a patient like, oh, I think maybe if they had an MRI, you could find out what's going on. It's like, I agree, but I'm not allowed to order MRIs. <laughs> not, not, not something I've had a conversation with a patient about, but that's just, you know, that's the thought in the back of your head because I think I had a patient the other day who was like, it seems like Meniere's disease, but we probably should rule out some of the extra... Uh, vestibule body causes so I think an MRI would probably be good to rule out extra uh, basically more peripheral causes and versus central causes and the, the attending just looked at me and was like no we're not doing that like that they can do that outpatient we're not ordering an MRI we're not admitting this patient for an MRI and like okay well that like, I mean yeah I probably wouldn't admit this patient <laughs> you know like but different mentalities but it's a little deflating to see a patient you discharged and you told them hey this is what i think you should do we're giving you medications to be you know for supportive care until you can get this stuff done and then they come back like a day later and then or they they call (laughs) because i was like leaving my shift and they were they had called the charge nurse and the charge nurse was like well, there's a lot of doctors who work here, so the chances of you seeing that doctor again is pretty low. Like, oh, they were very dismissive, and then they, I was looking, I looked over at them, and they're like, this patient. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was one I saw. And <clears throat> then being second-guessed by the PA in triage. I'm like, well, did you do this? Did you do that? And I'm like, yes, we looked at all these things. Uh, we- it, bugged, <laughs> it bugged Eric enough that he followed that the whoever this yeah I, I followed saw, the patient and they just, did the it, exact same thing they did but no they did do something different and I'll I can talk to you privately about oh 
that sort of stuff. But I don't want to, I don't want to violate any patient confidentiality thing, uh, just because the internet is a very resourceful group. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's a little deflating on the ER side of the. I think that's kind of unfortunately the nature of a lot of the ER is you're trying to make these decisions. You're trying to decide on uh, what kind of practitioner are you going to be. Are you going to be the guy who orders everything, does a very thorough workup on all your patients, and if you have a little twinkling in the back of your brain, a little itch that says this could be something else, admit the patient, or are you going to be the person who does workups and you look at things and go <coughs> unlikely, unlikely to be bad, unlikely to be anything scary so send these people people home keep, you know keep the hospital open for the scary stuff keep the non-scary stuff off so different mentalities obviously how you want to practice medicine it er is not how i would like to practice medicine it is a very uh, hats off to them i have a lot of appreciation to what they do uh, how they do it like obviously there are drawbacks to each of those different ways you practice in the ER <coughs> there's fight you know legal liabilities that you have to balance there's financial liabilities you have to balance like none of which are things that I would like to deal with I mean I have enough we have enough of that as internal medicine docs to do uh, I would not want to have to do that on an ER basis I think there's a joke out there about like ER docs have ER doctors having crippling fear of missing like cancer diagnoses and stuff, and it's like yeah I can see that I can see missing a, a crucial diagnosis in the ER because you have limited time and limited um, information, and so you get to see this patient for a split second and you don't get to do any little deep dive into the medical record you don't get to see their EGD results from 2013 <laughs> and then no, realizing the patient hasn't followed up in 20 years you know, 10 years or whatever it's just like oh that's what's going on <laughs> like these ER docs don't have that amount of time for everything so it's it's definitely an interesting experience I do enjoy it to what it is but certainly I will probably not look back on it and go, yes, I, I think I made a career, a, a mistake in my career choices. I think I'm fine not having pursued emergency medicine. <laughs> uh, it's good to learn. It's good to appreciate. It's also good to know that you made the right choice. <laughs> not that I don't, I think I ever thought about being an ER doc, but, but there are some pretty cool residents in that program that you get to work with that are very helpful, very supportive. And there's a few that I kind of feel like they kick you out. And I don't, I'm not sure how long ago that was. And we even talked about it being kicked out of the... <coughs> the red zone. The, get, kicked out of uh, red recess because there was so much stuff going on and they couldn't be bothered to have extra eyes looking at it. And it's like, I understand kicking out the the students. I understand kicking out the people who are not licensed and all that fun stuff, but like I'm an actual doctor, believe it or not. Like <laughs> I actually have a degree behind my name. Um, so, and I'm, I'm down here to learn and to work. So like kicking me out seems kind of foolish. And then of course kicking Targ out, which is kind of foolish as well, since well, he but actually they has have, experience. They have no idea that he... Some, they do now. They do now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. He, he uh, was an attending in Egypt. He, yeah, he... He was he worked in Cairo for a few years before coming to us. Uh, things are different, obviously. He prefers to he's getting paid as an intern. He's contractually obligated to work as an intern, so he would rather be treated like an intern. Um, so he he I think he deserves the respect for being knowledgeable. Um, he also deserves to be treated like the intern because yeah, and I, I don't mean that as like a derogatory thing. Like oh, he's he's just as low on the, the knowledge level as an intern. Like, no. No, he uh, doesn't deserve to, <coughs> to have the workload of an attending while being an intern. Yeah, they, like, they should not be throwing him up to the attending and third-year level responsibility and workloads that quickly. Like, just like everyone else, <laughs> move him up 
with the group, you know, and, and that's what kind of what he wants too. So I'm not trying to speak out of turn there. Yeah. Uh, the, I guess, <coughs> sorry, the only other um, kind of big thing that happened the last two weeks was um, the internal medicine internal exams came back. Oh, yes, yeah, so ITE uh, exams. So I think Eric was pleasantly surprised. Not I, a disaster. <laughs> he had come home from that exam and was like, I failed. They're going to put me on the special. Put me on probation already. <laughs> let's go. Let's put the modified education plan or whatever. Like, let's just get it done. Um, but he did well across the board very average well <laughs> but he doesn't have to be on modified anything I, I don't qualify for the modified education plan or whatever the IEP whatever it's anyway yeah and he was one of the better ones of the intern I don't, program I don't know if that's true I know that they were worse than me well considering <laughs> the average yes you have to be one but of the better I can't, ones. No, I don't. Because there's that. only twenty. Yes, no. the law of statistics says so, babe. <laughs> I mean, if you look at a bell curve, yes. But I mean, I don't know. The distribution is probably weird, and there could be like someone who just did really badly, and that is pulling that average down. That's fair, um, but I think he was pretty excited about that. Um, oh, so. I mean, I did average for an intern. Yes. So, if I did the same next year, I'm sure it would be terrible. Yes, but... Because I would be doing way below average for a second year. <laughs> so, <laughs> I still have to work on things. I still... I think my my uh, my showing on Hemonc was abysmal. Um, I mistakenly thought it was for nephrology. I actually did, didn't do terrible in nephrology, which is actually surprising since I've never had a nephrology rotation. Um, so <laughs> that was good, but Hemonc was abysmally bad, which doesn't surprise me. Um, cancer has never been a strong suit for me. Uh, and I think usually it's like treatment of cancer, diagnosis of certain cancers and all that fun stuff. So things to work on. Um, I know there are certain topics that I did very good in and there were ones that I could have done much better in. So <laughs> Thankfully, our program gave us like a printout, uh, much like when you took a shelf exam or um, even like the step exams at this too, where they would kind of show you where you were at in amongst your cohorts on each topic. So emergency medicine, all that fun stuff. So like they would break it down like that, subjects and whatnot. So I know where I am uh, percentile and percentage, which is... I think kind of helpful. And so now I can look at that and go, okay, now I need to know, now I know where to focus on my mix app, on which um, specialties and disciplines I need to focus on and try to get better at these things because, uh, again, next year I will take this exam again and I will be judged versus all the second years and I cannot score the same. <laughs> I have to improve. So, um, and of course my goal is to, right now my goal is to be in the middle of the pack, but we're getting towards the middle of the year. So the goal is going to start shifting to getting towards the front of the pack. Like, cause the first half of the year is really just find your footing, figure out how things work, figure out how to move through this residency, how to navigate the political stuff. Cause I mean, not, not like, you know, Republican, Democrat, and the, the political of like, how does admin work? What do they want from people? How does the program work? How do, what do they want from people? Your chiefs, your co-residents, how, how, how is the dynamic? Uh, so how to navigate all that. <laughs> and then, um, again, of course, navigating the hospital, how, how to do anything, basic tasks. How to, and I still don't know how we have, but like, how do I get through basic stuff so that I can focus on the actual job of medicine. So that was half the year. That was really just what I focused on is how not to suck, be with the mean group of my classmates. Uh, and then second half of the year is to get better at my craft, get better at being a resident, get better at being um, a doctor, you know, so that by the time I hit second year, 
uh, you're going to be given the responsibility of teaching the first years. And on certain hospital teams, you might be the senior resident. So you have to be able to do the senior resident level work as a second year, which is only scarily enough, probably about eight, nine months away. Because that's, it's November. So yeah, about seven, eight months away. Because the next class starts July 1st. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of scary. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, anywho, about 40 minutes into this, I'm trying to think about anything. I, I've learned a lot about doing peripheral line. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit You're here. Fine. I learned a little bit about peripheral line placements. I think next time I get an opportunity, I will do it. Um, I've seen it twice and kind of shown to me step by step. It seems pretty straightforward. So I will do the next one myself. <laughs> um, I had the opportunity to do one and like the nurse was like, oh, we need someone to put a peripheral line on this patient. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do it. And my attending was like, have you done one before? I was like, I've watched one. She looks at the senior resident and is like, why don't you show him again? <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's fine. I, I understand how this goes. You ED people don't trust IM people to do anything. I, I get it. I get it. You know, It's really funny, though, because um, the NP in the, um, in the lab was talking about how you don't want a doctor to place any IVs or lines. Oh, for sure. And she's like... And Edie is the worst because they just have so much confidence behind themselves and they, they'll get them to the floor and you just look at the line and you're just like, no. And you well, end not, up redoing it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, like, usually when it comes to the doctor doing the line, like, okay, if you're doing a central line, you more, more, more often than not, you do need the, the, the MD to do the central lines mm-hmm. and even arterial lines, which I, I, I don't think I'll have to do anything like that until... Either we have a code and they're like super desperate for someone to do something, or I'm in the ICU. Um, so usually in the ED, if they're like, we want you to place a line, it's again during a code when like the nurses have failed to get a line, or it's a patient has terrible, terrible veins, and the nurses have tried and tried and tried and tried, and they cannot get a peripheral line to stay. And that's when they go, okay, let's ask the doctor to do it. And that's when we go, okay, let's get the ultrasound out and we'll look for a vein that's like one to two centimeters deep in the arm and we'll (laughs) go fishing for it with the ultrasound. So we'll use ultrasound guided to do a vein. But like I, the last one I watched, I mean, I'm super glad and thankful that the guy helped me out, but he did put it like right in the elbow area, like mm-hmm. in the arm crease, and the patient looked at it. He was like, "Come on, man!" <laughs> he was like, "I'm sorry, that's what I found." <laughs> he was like, "Like, oh, yeah, that's a." I mean, if you imagine having that, like, the catheter in there, so like, if you bend it, it you would feel it. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I mean, I always like when you're pregnant, they try and put it in your hand, which is just awful. I don't. I I, I understand the. <laughs> The logic behind it because if they blow the vein they can always go up but like put it somewhere where you're not gonna have to like move yeah, sometimes <laughs> you just put it where you can find it like, i know but <laughs> especially after it's like a six try <laughs> like we are just gonna find something yeah um, but i mean <clears throat> it was just funny and she was laughing because um <clears throat> so it was the infusion clinic i had to get iron this this go around um, but uh, Popeye, you, know, <laughs> you should eat her spinach more. Sorry. But uh, she was laughing because she she had she placed a line that day, and she's like, "I don't hardly ever do this. Like, I'm just here here to walk everybody through every, what they're getting and the side effects and all that stuff. I don't normally do this. All the nurses do it, <laughs> and I just like it, it was just funny because she was she was poking fun at herself too, but. Yeah, I, well, I was in a room with a patient. Like, the patient was, I think, all very altered. But the two doctors, like, two nurses, one was, I think, a trainee, and the other one was the, the preceptor. And 
they were trying to get lines. They like they missed. They tried like three times and unsuccessful. They were trying another one and they're like, oh, I think we found a vein here. And they look at me like, you want to give it a try? And I was like, look, I've been sitting here watching you guys try to get in vein for like 20 minutes now. Um, I have a little extra time, so I'm helping hold the patient still. No. Like, <laughs> if you guys can't land this, I'm not going to land it. Like, the number of patients I've stuck with a line is zero. <laughs> we need so, to get you some oranges so you so, can try it. You practice. Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really understand the orange thing because, like, hitting a natural vein is very different than sticking a needle in an orange. Like, I can stick a needle in an orange. <laughs> I can sew things like I can, I can sew well. I like, think I, it. I think <laughs> it has to do with the depth. I know that our our uh, phlebotomy patient or our phlebotomy students they practice on oranges and I think it had to do with the depth like how deep you did it so you didn't actually want to get any juice out of it you wanted to get it right underneath the skin yeah but like you still have to hit this vein that like some patients are like the veins are like wiggling around and like you can't can't get the needle into it it's just like okay yes I'm gonna be that good at it and like honestly like trying to find them like I can hardly find a vein on myself unless I'm like turning blue like, oh. Yeah, you you look great. Like, I can I can probably <laughs> hit I can hit your veins. I, can I know see they them. love me. <laughs> where? Like obviously an audio meme. This isn't great. I'm looking at my arms and like I don't know where you would find a vein. I know approximately anatom and anatomically where they would probably be, but I'm not sticking a needle in blindly. <laughs> like that ain't happening. Um, oh, bring me the ultrasound machine. I'll <laughs> anyway. Hmm. Um, moral of the story, you generally don't want a doctor to do it. Um, <laughs> nurse, like Karen said, the nurses tend to do a lot more of these than me. And yeah, it's just like when it comes to intubations, like is the hospitalist on the floor going to be the best person intubating or is it going to be the intensivist or the anesthesiologist or even the ER doc? Like those, those are probably the people who know how to intubate patients the best. So. You know, <laughs> the family medicine doctor who's been in clinic for the last 20 years probably hasn't seen an intubation in a while. So not that he's not capable or she's not capable of doing it. It's just, you know, it is what it is. But again, if you go more rural, more rural doctors are asked to do more things. And so they might actually have a lot of hats that they wear. and They practice at a higher scope of their... Yeah. License. Well, we, we had a, you know, didactics day. We had this guy, um, it's like, I forgot what county. He's a couple of counties over. Um, but it's pretty rural. And, like, they have people who are, like, medical directors of the health department with no degree in public health. But they have, like, a passion for it. And they have a little bit of experience in it. So they do it. But, like, I do, you know, he's like, I'm an intensive. Uh, he's a hospitalist. He's in charge of the health department. He's... Uh, part of the e like he's like in he's the director of the emergency medicine uh, services of the EMS so like they do all like, all these these hats that they wear <laughs> it's like I get it and also kind of the talk kind of reaffirmed like they took doctors on and they do their own thoracic uh, uh, and paracentheses they do all the central lines and all the arterial lines and all that fun stuff and it really kind of cemented the idea that, like, if your program doesn't let you do procedures as an internal medicine doc, like, you're going to have to learn either by someone else showing you how to do it when you're a full-fledged doc, which might be hard to do. It might be hard to find another doctor who's willing to take the time and precept you through it. But, like, it might be a good idea to try to find these procedures and get proficient at them during your residency while you have the opportunity is if you have the opportunity at your facility because uh some residencies do not offer procedures as a like yeah you can do it if you can find it and you have a preceptor who's willing to do it with you <laughs> but like our program i think just not everyone's willing to work with you and get get them done so that's i think good but in this rural hospital setting these doctors do it all. So if you don't do it, there's no IV team of nurses that are going to show up and do it for you. There's no surgical residency that will show up and do it in the middle of the night. Like, no, it's on you. You got to do it. You can't just be like, oh, I, I don't do those. 
like, probably that's not the hospital you want to work at then. <laughs> like, uh, so something to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Having that skill allows you to go to more places, not less. Whereas I mean, sometimes being at a large tertiary center where you don't get to do any of these procedures because the EM docs all gobble them up or the, the fellows do all the procedures or they have a dedicated IV team, then, you know, at the end of your three years, you'll probably still be a great internal medicine doctor, but you won't be able to do any procedures. So your job opportunities might be a little bit more limited. Um, that's, that's the word from our, an intern. So, you know, take that for what it is. <laughs> uh, we are angling at 50 minutes here and I have to work at six o'clock in the morning. So we are going to sign out here. Um, I'm, I have this week and next week and I'm done and I do clinic week and then I do two weeks of nights and then two weeks of inpatient and then at some point during that inpatient week I take a my ITE no not my step ITE three. my step three and then we have Christmas so it's <laughs> going to be a busy few weeks <laughs> um, we will try to stay on this and try to get this out weekly still and I don't foresee any trips to Connecticut I don't foresee any night shifts besides the ones I just mentioned uh, two weeks long, but we will we will figure it out. Anyway, follow us on Instagram, MedFamilyMD. Karen manages that. She does all the memes and whatnot. I have a editorial say, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then she'll send me a couple different memes and pictures and be like, which one? And I'm like, that one. Um, I, don't, I, I think the other one's funny. I don't think people are going to like it as much or, or well, if the general population may not appreciate it as much. <laughs> so anywho, um, yes, follow us on Instagram and then you can, that's how you can interact with us and then follow us on any of the major pop, uh, podcasting platforms. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye guys. <laughs>